I have the pleasure of introducing our speaker for today. He's been here before. He has a doctorate from Gordon-Conwell in Christian leadership, I believe. Dr. Peter and I were college friends. We both went to the same college fellowship, and I followed him into ministry, I guess you could say. He is married. He has a daughter. He served as a pastor for about 20 years, and now he is a missions director. One thing I really appreciate about Dr. Peter is that when he gives messages, a lot of ideas in his messages are sticky, and I remember a lot of them ideas. Like, for example, oh, what was that? No, I'm kidding. Uh, for example, I remember one time Dr. Peter said that when people get older, they often have a common regret. I don't remember this. And one of those regrets is that they wish they had reflected more. That, that was you, right, Dr. Peter? Or, or was that my message? That was me. That was me. No, that was you. That was you. And uh, I also remember that Dr. Peter, last time when he was here, he was saying that we all uh, uh, talk a lot every day. Uh, do you know who you talk to the most in a given day? Not your spouse, not your best friend, but not even to the Lord. It's to yourself. So learn how to be a good preacher to yourself. So we're, we're remembering stuff, Dr. Peter. It's really good. And so we're excited for you in this Advent season to get us started off on the right foot and to get us prepared and thinking about Jesus and his coming. We're first going to do the Advent reading. All right, the scripture reading today is from John verse, John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, and 11 through 17, the ESV. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we all have received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Good morning. It's great to be here. Since I've been a director of a missions agency, my job basically is not sitting in one church and preach. So the last 18 months, I must have traveled to like 30 different churches. Thank you for inviting me. So I think I believe this is the fourth time that I, I've been here. So thank you, and I'm really glad to be here. What's going on here? What's going on here? I've been a missionary to China, and my wife has been counting. She said, Peter, do you know this year you've been out for 100 days? I think 106 precisely. So she, she, she was counting, and I know it's, it's a lot of days. And one of the consequences of being away so much, and I was in China, in northern China, Gansu province, there are a lot of minorities there training a lot of uh, 
the pastors who works with the minorities, especially the Muslim people. And so I was there about two weeks, you know, 15, 16 days. And coming back, I realized, wow, I'm totally disoriented. I, I, I kind of forgot this is kind of the holiday season. Because over there, they don't celebrate Thanksgiving. They don't, you know. So, so I came back and, and yesterday, you know, my wife said, honey, I need two hours to prepare for my Sunday school that, that she's going to teach. And, and so take Ava out. So I kind of forgot it was Black Friday. <laughs> so I took her to the mall. And, <laughs> and <laughs> that was a huge, tragic mistake, right? <laughs> you wait in line to park. And then they got in there, and I saw Santa Claus. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the Advent season. And then, then the Andrew texts me, oh, yeah, don't forget, be here at 1010, you know, <laughs> preaching your Advent message. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Advent. Christmas. What is Christmas? You know, I come back, I go into this whole drill of Christmas motion. You know, you got a Black Friday I realized, you know, America, it's like one holiday of consumerism after another, right? You know, you, you stack Black Friday and then Christmas, and after Christmas, like, even better sales, right? Then you got the President's Day sale, right? Then you got the, the romantic holiday sale, right? Whatever, uh, it's in, not St. Patrick's Day. See, I'm out of America for so long, I forget all those holidays, but in any case, you see the lines, you get so busy. And then my daughter asked me, Daddy, why do I ever get Christmas present? Wow. And that she is correct. I never buy her Christmas present. That's just not a tradition in my family. So this is what I would say to her. I said, honey, don't you realize I buy gifts for you every single week? I mean, you get surprises here and there all the time. And it's true. I buy all of my family's clothes, including my wife's, okay? So they get, they get gifts all year long. Wouldn't you want to, why wouldn't you want to get gifts all year long instead of just getting one gift, you know, once a year? And she's like, okay, that's cool. <laughs> and then... We were walking around the mall, and she sees a big Christmas tree, and, and, you know, and the Christmas lights. And it's like, Daddy, see, all the neighbors, they have Christmas lights. Why don't we have Christmas lights? I said, honey, don't you understand all those Christmas lights? It wastes so much electricity. <laughs> it increases our household carbon footprint. I mean, we're an environmentally conscious household. You don't want to contribute to the greenhouse effect and destroy the earth, don't you? Right? Like, oh, okay, sure. Daddy, why don't we have a Christmas tree? I'm like, do you know it takes 15 years for them to grow those trees? And think all the trees that you chop off and the, you know, carbon dioxide that you can absorb. I mean, you, let's go back to the environmental. Yeah. All right, come on, you get it. Well, of course, you know how it is. Daddy's just lazy, and I want to do those kind of stuff, right? But the reality is, 
It seems as if Christmas, you know, from this time onward, it's just a bunch of busy work you and I, we got to do, right? We got to go shopping. We got to do this. We got to put up the lights. We got to get a tree. I mean, all these things wrapped up, all the holiday office parties and schools, and you got to bake, whatever. But what is the meaning of Christmas? Andrew put me in charge to really introduce Advent. And as I think and pray, you know, I've been pastoring for 20 years. I have thought about this question. Why are we doing this? And what, what is the real meaning of Christmas? This is what I deduce. This is what I come up with. I really believe ultimately Christmas on a whole theological level, it's about hope. It's about looking forward to something. It's, a, it's looking forward in a really dark, dim world, and especially for a world in our time. When the election was taking place, I was in China, and I was informed by one of my Muslim students that Donald Trump has won. And I said, oh, come on, you're joking. I wasn't sure, you know? And then as time passes on, during my class, it's a really, Donald Trump won, you know? I'm like, hey, what are you doing? You should listen to me, right? California, one of the uh, agencies that my wife was a psychotherapist that she's volunteered before in the uh, suicide prevention hotline. Did you know that they got 30% more phone calls after the election because people were depressed? Friends, we live in a world that needs a lot of hope. And Christmas is about that hope. And this morning, we're going to go back to examine during a time of Apostle John, and, and his time is just as dark, if not darker. It's just as bleak, if not more bleak. But yet, he offers a hope. He sees Jesus Christ as a hope for the world. How can that be? Friends, this morning, if you're a seeker, you are just checking out Christianity, it is my prayer that you will find something, you'll find a meaning for Christmas, that is more than consumerism, more than shopping, more than getting gifts, more than busy work, more than parties. For Christians, let's prepare ourselves because there is hope that is ultimate, that awaits, and that we need to rediscover. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you. We want to know the meaning of Christmas. Father, we come to this time of a year. Sometimes we just get lost. And God, we need to rediscover it. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me, let me read this passage, a few selected passages from John chapter 1, verse 1 to 18. And verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, yet the world did not know him. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness have not overcome it. Verse 11, he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. 
For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at Father's side. He has made him known. He has made him known. This morning, I want to bring to you, as John describes it, really the hope for the birth of God's own son, Jesus Christ. It was really, number one, a meaning, a discovery, a hope for the ultimate meaning. That the word this logic, this reason for the whole universe came to be was Jesus Christ. That's a meaning. That to achieve, to discover, to find this meaning, there has to be a struggle. There has to be a struggle. That all of us are in search of that ultimate meaning. And many of us are lost. Many of us are de depressed because we can't find it because it's so hard, it's so difficult. And yet God does provide a way for us that there is a hope because there's a divine revelation. Not only through the, through, through, through the law of Moses, but finally that this divine revelation is provided through a divine encounter, that there's a personal relationship, a personal encounter with Jesus. That is where we're going to find this ultimate meaning. Friends, do I realize, do you realize that John's world is very bleak? This gospel was written during a time, again, Roman Empire has just, and, and Jewish religious establishment, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sanhedrins, they are starting to crack down the Christians. This emerging movement of Christians John is writing in the midst of a lot of persecution. And furthermore, within the Christendom, if you study church history, you know that the early Christians really thought and very, they, they are very devoted and they thought Jesus Christ is going to come back during their own lifetime. And this has been going on for 30, 40, 50 years and, and Jesus Christ has not come back yet. And they, they, they're starting to kind of wonder their place in the world. And they are conscious of the persecution, the, the internal struggle. It seems like this is not supposed the way it's supposed to be. And they don't know where they're going to put their hope in. This is the time that John wrote this wonderful gospel. It's in this context. And by the way, I don't know if you read through the, the compare the Gospel of John with the, the synoptics. Synoptics are the three Gospels, Mark, Luke, Matthew. If you read the synoptic Gospel, you realize that it's more written like a, a thesis. And, and Luke says that straight out. says, I wrote this for someone as a kind of a thesis research project. Right? They were referenced to their, their histories, in, in Roman histories, and local politics. But John... Very different. It did not start out with a genealogy of Jesus, right? John is the, the, the gospel of John is so personal. I love the gospel of John because you can see the personal touch in John. What do you see the personal touch in John? If you start reading gospel of John, there is a revolving theme that the apostle John always in competition with Peter. So he will always refer himself as the disciple Jesus loved. 
nothing here. And then when they were talking about that Jesus resurrected, they heard the news and they're running to the tomb and they were just, he would just put in, oh, I got there first. Peter was behind me. Ha, ha, ha. Just go back to read Gospel of John. It's this personal. It's this got comedy. It's got, you know, personal touch. You know it's a personal witness, life witness account of what happened. And yet he chose to start the Gospel of John, not with genealogy, not like a very formal document, but he starts by a summary a philosophical reflection of his whole personal relationship. He lived and breathed and did ministry for three years with Jesus, and he summarized his experience of Jesus in, in the words that we just read. That he just read, we just read. I mean, John just got such great detail how many, how many of you had Thanksgiving dinner in your house? All right. I hope you went somewhere if you're not in your house, okay? Those are good and bad times, right? How many of you are scared of Thanksgiving dinner? Some of you should. Okay, my brother, uh, he is a chief technology officer in one of those high-tech software companies. So he has hundreds of people working for him in China, but then they send every quarter about 40 software engineers to come here in the United States to, to work for the company. And during this time, these Chinese software engineers have no place to go, right? So his company just like, well, Willie, you're their boss, you know, you got a big house, so invite all of them to your house. We'll pay for everything, right? So I was like, oh, sure. So, so one of the beneficiaries of being his brother, we can go and eat lobster and steak and stuff like that. So paid by his company. But realizing what just took place a couple of days ago, my brother has to kind of entertain these guests. And unfortunately, his mother and his brother, myself, were in the company of, you know, people who, and we it's more like my mom has embarrassing stories to say. <laughs> right? I mean, you, I mean, you go to those Thanksgiving dinner party, you meet uncle so-and-so, and they're like, oh, I changed your diaper. <laughs> right? And then they just press me like, oh, so what was Willie like, you know, when he was in junior high? So I had to tell them a story where when he just immigrated to the United States, you know. First year, he couldn't speak any English. He had a secret admirer in school, in junior high. And she called every day to look for Willie. And my, my brother couldn't speak English at the time. And I was here one year earlier. So in my, in my broken English, I had to translate what she says to my brother and whatever my brother says to her. So I knew his first love story. In, exact wording and those were the things that my brother probably wished I didn't tell right I mean but that's kind of what John is doing right John is snitching out Peter all the time right I mean that's that's the kind of gospel you have and yet he summarized all this comedy all this personal touch in a in a very 
logical statement. So what is it talking about? He's talking about that there's a hope. That there's a hopeful meaning. He wants to address this right up front. He says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and yet the world did not know him. What is he talking about? John was using a kind of a technical philosophical term during the, the Greek-Roman time. The Greek philosophy 600 BC, before Christ, Heraclitus, Heraclitus, used this word to describe a divine reason or plan that coordinates a changing universe. A rational discourse of, and the world's rational structure. How do they connect? Basically, what this word we're starting to use, John's starting to use in the Bible sense, is really talking about there's a meaning behind everything. There is a purpose. There is a purpose behind everything. And John Straight out, when he reflects upon who Jesus Christ is, his own relationship with him, he says, you know what? He was the meaning. He was the word. He was a logic. He was a reason for the whole world existed. And not only that, that it's a universal meaning, that it is a meaning for me personally, for John personally, the, the reason why he existed that there was a word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. Friends, do you believe that this world operated with meaning? Did you realize what John is saying is so contrary to our secularism, materialism, that says we come from nothing? It's all an accident. If we add billions of years, something will happen. Did you realize how different that is? But friends, do you know that there is a search universally for all of us that we're chasing, we're looking for this meaning. I recently met uh, college students from China. Came from, came from China, Tianjin studying in uh, a local school, the Anza College. And he told me he just got baptized. I said, wow, that's wonderful. I mean, I said, you never heard about the gospel in China? He said, no, not really. But I came over here, I, I just knew that there's a meaning to life that was not explained to me when I was in China. They explained that you need to love your country, to be patriotic, you know, brainwash me or love your parents and do everything they told you. And I just feel like there's more. There has to be something bigger and greater than just that. And as he looked around, he said, oh, yeah, this explains it. Friends, do, do we have a search for meaning? This ultimate meaning. I, I met recently at a party, at a birthday party of a baby shower. A young startup tech executive graduated from MIT. He was in the, the, the sports analytic you know, world. He's got everything, 
made, MBA graduate, ex-old student of mine when he was in high school. And we were talking, and he just said, you know what? I've been kind of chasing and searching for success in, in the world and getting to know all those famous people, athletes, but there's something still missing. Friends, do you believe there is a greater purpose that needs to be found out, that needs to be searched? Because if you find it, if you have it, it ties everything. It ties all the elements in your life, all the bad and good things together and makes sense of it. Do you believe that? John says, yes, there is. There is a hope to find that meaning. There is a hope to find that purpose. Because this hope is so important. Did you know that if you ever lost this hope, it would destroy you? Victor Funkel, I don't know if you know who he is. He was a doctor in German concentration camp. He was a Jewish person captured and people die in concentration camps. He sees people disintegrate. He sees good people just disintegrate, lost hope, and they stop eating, and, or, or they do really terrible things to each other. And yet, he says, one of the biggest determinants of a person that can survive concentration camp was determined by if this person had any hope. If he had some kind of ultimate meaning. Friends, do you believe that? Christmas, the birth of Jesus, according to John, that this is the hope for the ultimate meaning. So friends, one of the things we got to ask ourselves is, what provides ultimate meaning? If we don't believe in the secular idea that there is no ultimate meaning, everything comes by accident, but in many ways, functionally speaking, we have some other ultimate meaning because we put our trust, we put our security, maybe in the romantic partner, our husband or wife, maybe in our children, maybe our family, maybe our career like my student. Maybe sports. I, I mean, I was reading an article recently talking about young you know, professionals, you know, are segregated by kind of the sports that they do. Oh, are you in MMA? Or are you, you know, the runner, biker, you know, and people have different tribes, right? Identities. What is it? Do you, have you discovered the ultimate meaning? Do you have hope for it? But that discovery, that hopeful meaning was not easy to be discovered and found. Verse 5, it says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That there is a struggle. There's a struggle. That the hopeful meaning was never a smooth journey to discover your purpose in, in the world, in the universe, from the very beginning. Do I have to recount from Genesis? Remember Genesis? It's a story, the Garden of Eden. It's about freedom. It's about discovering freedom. God created everything, and it was good, and God created human beings. It was very good. He gave them power to name animals. They, they had agency. He had, he, you and I, we, humanity, as a pinnacle of his creation. 
God gave Adam and Eve each other. There's a team. There's a support. There's for communication. The light is, the light has come into the world. That but God gave us this whole Garden of Eden. We, as long as we obey God's will, that the freedom within God's boundary, walking in God's protection, that it's great. And yet, where's the darkness? When Satan tempted us and say, you know what, to question God's boundary. To question God's intention, His intent to protect human beings. Instead, He says it's a limitation for you. And we still live in that lie today. Many of us, we live in one of the most free society, right? And our concept of freedom is we want to do everything we want. But that's not really how freedom operates. Imagine if you are a fish, and you say, you know what? I want to make a personal choice, and I want to jump on land and flourish. Good luck, honey. That's not possible because that's the boundary that God has set for this creature, fish, to live in water to flourish. But because we disobey God, we work outside of God's protection. Boy, we lose that freedom. In fact, the way that God intended us to be, created us to be. This goes on. Friends, you realize that from the very beginning, the struggle for purpose, for meaning, is so real, and we have lost our way from freedom. I mean, Genesis is full of this struggle in, in this path, Tower of Babel. If any story in the scripture, in the Old Testament, especially Genesis, that applies to Bay Area, it's Tower of Babel. You know why? Tower of Babel really is about technology. The glory of technology. What was the technology that the Tower of Babel is talking about? It's masonry, right? Back then, they, they, they put straws and they build bricks. Before, they never can, they were not able to build taller buildings. So they had this technology of masonry, and they were able to build temples. They were able to build structures, and they were pride, proud. They were like, "Hey, we can go up to heaven." Friends, how are we any different? We have internet. We have. Resources. We have information. We can do this and that. We can. It's not what all the startup people, all the technology people. We we are so proud. But when we have those things, do do we find ultimate meaning? Does it really provide ultimate reason for your existence? There is a struggle. We continue to struggle today. You do. I do. We can find it, and we can string everything together because we haven't found the real source of all that connection. It's Jesus Christ. But even as dark as it is, described in Genesis from the very beginning, that darkness has not overcome it. What a hope! Does not matter how bad it gets. Does not matter how bleak the situation is, there is hope. Jesus' plight during 
you know, I mean, Israel's plight during Jesus' time or John's time, a conquer nation, a culture, lifestyle under constant threat. There's no prophet that has spoken for 400 years. It's a bleak time. Where is God? Where is the future? They ask. Many of us, if you put any hope in politics, maybe we all have the same question. What's going to happen? I have cousins who are immigrants. Are they going to be expelled? We have all these worries. And Friends, the reality is there is something that we can look beyond our bleak situation. Do you remember Save It Private Ryan? Do you remember that story? Very bloody. In fact, one of the huge mistakes, when, uh, during, when it came out, uh, I thought, oh, great, I like an action movie, you know? And I was with my wife's uh, cousin. They came during holidays, and we're like, let's go watch that. And she's like this, you know, college girl at the time. And we went watch Saving Private Ryan, and she was like <laughs> shivering the whole time, you know? <laughs> so scary, right? But at the end of Saving Private Ryan, remember all the, the, the fellowship, the band of brothers, they were stationed everywhere trying to hold off these tank units coming across, you know, the bridge was taken, all the snipers were taken out, and there was basically no hope. Then, it's at that moment. Airplane comes in. The angel in the sky. They were saved. This is what John was talking about. Yes, the darkness is there, but the light shines in the darkness, and darkness will not overcome it. It has not, and it will not. Whatever the struggle that you're going through for meaning that you're searching, maybe in love, in career, wherever that you have misplaced it and you're trying to find it, that you are struggling right now, friends, the darkness will not overcome it if you come back to Jesus Christ. You will find it. God will make sense of everything. I've been going so overseas so often, my wife and I, we actually have been kind of thinking and praying. And just during the summertime, we started really considering moving overseas. And it was kind of a funny process because my wife has a really established uh, psychotherapy, you know, kind of a agency over here. And she makes you know, height of her career, gets invited to a lot of different places to teach and in the seminaries and lots of clients. We live a very life to, uh, comfortable lifestyle. And at the same time, when I proposed this to her, she said, you know, Peter, you know what you're going to do. You're a missionary. You're going to go to China. What am I going to do? I'm giving up everything. This can't be it. What am I going to do? I'm not going to be licensed over in China or in Asia. I can practice. What can I do to really help people? And just when she was posing that question and we were thinking and praying, the day after, 
I got an email from an acquaintance I have in China, which I just preached at in a conference. And he said, you know what? We, the missionary community here in Taiwan, we have a lot of psychological Christian counseling needs. And in fact, OMF, the China Inland Mission, you know, Hudson Taylor's old organization, they actually started a, a counseling kind of agency primarily to counsel missionaries, number one, and also some other uh, Chinese pastors in the area. They're saying they are looking for a director. If you ever consider a move to Taiwan, please, we would love to have you. And, and my wife looked at that email and she says, whoa, friends, do you realize if you're willing to work obediently, to, to follow God obediently, God makes sense of everything. I mean, I look back at my 20 years of ministry in North America, I had a couple of church plants, you know, I had a lot of different experiences working with like rebounding churches and consulting and over here in North America, I, I almost constantly wonder, why am I doing this? Because a lot of the things that I, I do is more business rather than ministry. And my family comes from a whole line of entrepreneur. And sometimes I feel like I'm just fish out of water sometimes in a church as a pastor. And then I started doing missions. I started making sense that God's trying to connect me with all the experiences that I had, all the failures that I had, all the struggles that I had, that I was able to identify and minister to this group of people. Friends, do you believe that? John says, if you're looking for, searching for that meaning, that reason for everything that exists, for you to be, exist, look no further. Right here, it's in Jesus Christ. But to get there, verse 17, John says, for the law was given through Moses, that, that there is a struggle, right? The humanity to discover meaning. And God gives humanity a way to find meaning. The first way he did was through Mosaic laws. That's Old Testament, right? For the law was given by Moses. First of all, we have to realize this search for meaning cannot be coming from our own pursuit. It has to be divinely inspired and divinely revealed. Okay. There are two different ways to find God. One is we think how God is and we're going to find him. Or God's going to reveal himself. And Christianity says God has to come to us and reveal himself, his nature, who he is to us. The Old Testament, the Mosaic law reveals what God's character looks like. Morality, ethics, right? Many of us want to have that, that, that right living, living correctly. But the problem with this, as we have seen, the failure of the Old Testament was unable to change people's heart, isn't it? That if the law 
was it. The only way that God's way of finding us is that here, let me give you a book, a rule book. Obey it, follow it, and do the best you can. It is so easy. There's no hope in that search for God because what that does is that it makes us think by our own effort, by keeping the rule right, that we will make God like us. By following these rules, it only changes us from the outside, but it does not change our heart. So the law given through Moses was not enough. It only tried to conform us from the outside, but the hope for the heart to change, the hope for, for really us to connect to the ultimate meaning, there has to be something more, deeper. If rule was it, it becomes our master. Divine revelation in the rule of God is not enough. Friends, this is an Asian-American problem, I have to say. You know why? We're good at keeping rules. We're good at keeping rules. We come up with standards for ourselves, and we'll say, you know, we did it. Hey, you know, we went to good schools. We got a good job, pretty girlfriend, you know, maybe pretty kids, right? Live in a nice house. I got it made. And we think we got it. But this is not it. Keeping morality rule is not it. This is not the gospel. This is not what John says. John says, yes, we got a mosaic law, but that was not it. John says, if you really want to find this ultimate meaning and purpose, you got to go have this divine encounter. Verse 11, he says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And the world became flesh and dwelt among us, and from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. God knows in our human heart if he reveals himself only through laws, proposition, theology, it's so easy for us to make it into our own achievement that we can get to him, that we can find this meaning, this ultimate purpose. But that was not what the way God intended. John spells it out, that Jesus Christ came and dwelt. He became flesh. He became one of us. It's no longer a propositional truth in our head, but it's a person, it's a relationship that you need to have. Jesus Christ came not only to talk about the truth. He embodied the truth. He is the truth. He is the logos. He is the reason. He is the purpose. Friends, there's no way you're going to find your meaning, the ultimate meaning, the purpose, unless... You have a personal relation with Jesus Christ. This is what John says. Do you want that? Do you want to have a hope for that? This is divine encounter. When we come to grip of this ultimate hope that God presents to the world, Jesus Christ, that there is a hope for your discovery. There's a hope for everything to connect. Our hope for meaning thankfully, is no longer upon our understanding of ethical, moral standards, 
our hopeful meaning is no longer rests upon the ability to obey biblical things, rules. Our hopeful meaning is no longer rests upon our outward appearances of behavior. Instead, our hope for ultimate meaning is rest upon knowing the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is rest upon Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross to pay for the price of sin. Our hope for ultimate meaning is rest upon Jesus Christ's love to change our hearts from the inside. When you encounter what John says so clearly here, the person of grace and truth, a total embodiment of that, it will all make sense to you. Do you want to have that hope? This is the meaning of Christmas. The next few weeks, you're going to find out why God the Father sent his only son to this earth to offer that hope. But many of us do not receive him for many reasons. Maybe because we already have this alternate philosophy of life. It provides some kind of meaning. Maybe religious, maybe secular, whatever it might be. Maybe we're stuck in our struggle. Some of us are so deep in our struggle and we say, the life is too hard. I can't fight any light. The darkness is so heavy. But can I say that John is right? The darkness will not overcome it and he cannot overcome it. The light of Jesus Christ can shine. May I offer that hope to you? Maybe some of us cannot receive Jesus Christ because we're so confident that our own ability, our success in the world, in our careers, in our love life, in our family life, and we say, you know what? Why, why divine revelation? I already got it. We're satisfied with the alternatives, but friends, let's come back to Jesus Christ during this holiday season. If there's anything that we can do together, instead of shopping, instead of making ourselves busy, friends, can we put our hearts in a place of hope? Because there is an answer to the search of, for meaning. That there's a power in your struggle. That this divine revelation is not just about rules, that Christianity is not just about religious morality, but a person that you and I need to know. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we want to prepare our hearts right as we enter into this season of Advent. God, during this season of busyness, God, may you help us to put our eyes on the right spot as we look up to you that our hopes is in your son, Jesus Christ. Not in our own ability to do things, to accomplish things. But God, that we can rely and depend on the one that is embodiment of grace 